The last word on sport on Today FM. With Carlsberg, official beer partner of the FAI. Probably the best partnership in the world. Get the facts, be drink aware, visit drinkaware.ie. Now, let's talk all the weekend's Premier League action. Mark Lawrence and Miguel Delaney, Chief Chief Football Writer with The Independent, are with us. Good evening to you folks. I hope you're well. Hi, we're going to start, of course, the big game of the weekend this Sunday, the half-four kick-off. Manchester United going to Anfield to face Liverpool. And I couldn't think of two more teams with different levels of confidence right now, Mark. Liverpool got that win against Wolves midweek, and it was a pretty shaky win. And that dire draw against Crystal Palace at the weekend, it was a truly awful game on, on Saturday night. And Manchester United, fresh from the Carabao Cup win, they must really fancy their chances now of doing the double over Liverpool this season. Yeah, quite possibly. Um, although I think, to be honest with you, Ian, in these games, I don't think form carries too much in terms of what happens on the day because, you know, they're, they're all, as I say, extremely feisty games, tackles flying all over the place. Manchester United have sorted out the problem. They're all together. Uh, Simon Casamora has been absolutely brilliant, obviously. Liverpool, I think there's green shoots of recovery. They've not been great. But again, with them, I mean, they've kept a few clean sheets of late. Started to look a little better. Jota's come back in, made a big difference. And Fabinho, they've got the old Fabinho back as well. So this is going to be really, really tight. This, I think this is like a, one of the games from the kind of 70s, 80s. Tackles flying in. Never a great spectacle. But That's a game you'd a, love. A, a good, well, exactly, exactly. Miguel, I, I wonder though, does Manchester United just have the edge on this, the style of play that they're doing? Very fast, very fast up front as well. Lots of players scoring. Mark mentioned there, Casemiro. You also have Rashford and even Klopp was praising him today. You'd almost look at that Manchester United team and think that was Liverpool a couple of seasons ago. That's exactly it. It's, I mean, even in the excitement of their play and the sense of a team going in the right direction. It feels a bit like Liverpool around 2017. Right, They're not a complete team yet, but like Liverpool then, you can now see key positions where there are obvious signings, whereas Liverpool are actually almost like Manchester United for much of the last decade, where it, the entire first eleven now feels like it leads an overall. Nothing is obvious, and it, it does feel like we're heading to a point where there's big changes. But as Mark has said, I mean, given the nature of this fixture, that doesn't, um, that doesn't necessarily influence too much. But I think what's telling with this, actually, if Ten Hag wins on Sunday, he'll have equaled the number of wins both Mourinho and Solskjaer got over Liverpool together in their, uh, what was it, about five or six years at the club, which I suppose points to how dominant Klopp's Liverpool were over United throughout that period. Mark, it's amazing how Manchester United have changed the style under Eric Ten Hag. There's been a few players that have come in, but it really seems to be down to his style, his way, and the players have embraced it. Yes, most definitely. And, you know, we watched the first two games of the season, didn't we? And we thought, oh, my goodness, they've got even worse. But no, um, Casemiro is, is, is the glue that stuck everyone together, isn't it? He, he's come in. We didn't know whether his legs had gone or not. They definitely haven't. He's an unbelievable player in the way that he plays. Makes it very, very difficult for the opposition. He gets everybody around them as well. I think we saw in the game against... Uh, against Newcastle at the weekend. Basically, you know, the midfield players from Man United kept kept Newcastle at bay. Um, good passer. He's quite happy to take a, a yellow card, um, which he's always done all his life anyway. And it's a big problem. But, you know, these games are... They're just horrible to play in, Ian. And also, the other other thing about it is is that 
you just don't know. I mean, when Liverpool went to Old Trafford early in the season, they obviously they got beat. But you looked at Manchester United then and, and, and you weren't convinced. But man, the manager's built on it, hasn't he? He's done an excellent job. He'll have in the summer as well. So, you know, I think they are still in every competition, are they not? They are indeed. They are potentially where Liverpool were a season ago, looking at the quadruple. Miguel, looking, I, wonder, I know that the win against Wolves there, Mark mentioned it. Look, they have picked up, picked up a couple of wins. You're seeing players like Salah score again. I looked at that game last Saturday evening. I was actually out watching the rugby and after it came on, I thought, this game is just dire. Like, it's absolutely appalling. The midfield for Liverpool, it just looks so slow. Yeah, I do wonder as well, because they'd been on a little bit of a pick-up Liverpool and then they had that awful result to Real Madrid and a really bad second half. And I wonder how much that deflated them. As I think they're maybe on a, a little bit of a longer-term pushback but they're in a situation now, Liverpool, where it feels like they're completely dictated by the last result in the sense that um, it, 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 if, it's, if it's one setback, it feels like doom again. And if it's, if it's one positive result or, or a win, then there's that sense of getting back on track, which, of course, makes this all the more of a juncture game. The pressure mark on Jurgen Klopp at the moment, he, he, he puts up a great uh, persona at a press conference. You watch him and you think the world is all very, very well and good. How much pressure is he really under? No, he's not. Well, listen, he's not under pressure from the owners. The only pressure he's really got is from himself. You know, if you go on some of these websites, it'll be, oh, he's finished, he did this, he did this wherever he was in Germany, all those kind of things. But he's the most important person at the club. Um, and I would think, well, not would think, I know in the summer there'll be like an open-door policy, lots out and lots in, because that's what Liverpool need. But he's under no great pressure whatsoever. Even, you know, even if he didn't make the, the top four, the owners aren't going to turn around and say, you know what, thank you, but no thank you. The rebuilding, if that ha- if it comes to it at the end of the season, the rebuilding of Liverpool, it's going to cost a lot of money, and if Fenway aren't going to sell it, Miguel, where are they going to get it? Well, I mean, I suppose one might be sales, but I mean, because of the age of these players, it does feel like some might be coming to the national end of contract. So the latest today is that Firmino is going to leave, which will mean that like two of the three attackers that pretty much defined this era, other than Virgil van Dijk, uh, will will have left the club. Um, and it's yeah, it's a, it's a big ask, for them, especially given they seem to have changed transfer strategy. I mean, what was so impressive about that initial rise, and we mentioned about kind of signings that just fitted. Was that I mean, Bar Van Dyke and Allison, who were both essentially funded by the Coutinho sale, um, L- Liverpool got so many players for thirty million or under that just kind of that that completely made sense. But but also, we're at a point in their careers where they weren't bona fide stars in that sense. Now you could argue maybe that some of that has already started with the likes of kind of Luis Diaz, who has been injured. Same with with, with Jota, um, but even still. They're, they're, they're in a, they've been in a situation where, in some games recently, Liverpool have used nine players that you know were were part of the the 2019 Champions League run or the 2020 uh, title winning team. Um, and certainly, I mean, if you to return to United, and suppose some of the history of this fixture as well, it was always Ferguson's big maxim that you you you, you change the team, you, know, you make considerable changes after three or four years because that's the kind of most the chemistry will allow. And Klopp hasn't really done that. Mark, finally, before we move on to the other games, call this one. What's going to happen? I think that might actually be a good result. Let's move on to tomorrow's early kickoff: Manchester City versus Newcastle. Miguel, you're at the Carabao Cup final. You know, United were the better team on the day. I don't think Newcastle can be too deflated heading to Manchester City tomorrow. Um, well, the one thing I, I, I do, I mean, the, the big the big line, I suppose, is that this is, that 
that's not just the day out that it was in the 90s in Newcastle because really we can see the way uh, football's future is headed and it's all related to what they're hugely controversial owners uh, which is, given it is a Saudi Arabian state project of course a lot of controversy about that this week given what happened in, in the United States with the LIV Gulf court case but um, uh, yes and pressure it, over the ownership of Newcastle United to explain themselves yeah. Yeah, we're, we're, we're basically, I mean, when, when this takeover was approved in October 2021, one of the Premier League's rationale was they had, quote unquote, legally binding assurances that there would be uh, no control from the state over the sovereign wealth fund, which was always a, a bit of a preposterous situation, given it's the sovereign wealth fund of an absolute monarchy. Um, and then a month later, a month after that, Richard Masters went on record and said that if they, if they found evidence to the contrary, they could, they, they could seek to get the owners removed. And what happened in a, in a, in a US court this week? Well, Public investment fund who own Newcastle, they argue that they are they are a sovereign instrumentality of Saudi Arabia. So it's caught within the Premier League and within the other clubs. It's caused a lot of issues. Someone messaged me today about it, saying this isn't going to go away. So it's something hanging over Newcastle. In terms of, I suppose, what you mentioned about whether it should be deflated after the League Cup. I mean, it's in, it's an interesting one. You could say they did themselves proud. I must say, I was quite impressed with the performance. Uh, I think they're in a situation now where. Their season is leveling off a bit. Obviously, Howe has put in place a good defensive structure that had made them very hard, difficult to break down. But and that was amplified, I think, in the first few months of the season, where they had a number of attackers going through purple patches, particularly Miguel Almiron. Now that has uh, subsided now, and since they've stopped scoring, I suppose that's that classic case where it increases the pressure at the other end, and they've started conceding. Uh, so from that perspective, I think it's quite an interesting game. I mean, the three all earlier in the season when they played Manchester City was actually one of the matches of the season, even if it was again framed by all this uh, difficult uh, and controversial political framework in the city's own owners. Uh, but it was also where Newcastle gave one of their better accounts of, of themselves as a pure football team. Whereas in this, it does feel like there's much more of a gap. Really, Mark, I'm just going to pick up on that with Mark because you kind of think to yourself, well, look, Man City, it hasn't been great the last couple of games and you kind of say to yourself, well, look, okay, Newcastle might be down, but they might just fancy their chances. If it's not going to be a trio, they might fancy their chance of sneaking this one. Well, I think I think I would uh, agree entirely with Miguel. I think that they have bottomed out Newcastle and I think also when you look at it defensively, they have the absolutely fantastic record and that at the moment has been shot to pieces somewhat. So I don't think confidence is particularly high. I think City will win. I think they'll win quite comfortably. And it'll just be interesting between now and the rest of the season exactly what Newcastle do. I'm pretty sure, obviously, they'll still pick up quite a few points. But, but nothing like in terms of challenging for the top four for me. I was, well, you just preempted me there. Do you think they are, they are top four material? Um, no, I don't. I, don't because I, just, I just think that... Yes, they've had an outstanding season, most definitely, but they've hit the wall a bit, a little bit, in insofar as, I mean, against Manchester United in the Carabao Cup, um, they didn't really lay a glove on Manchester United. Yes, they, they huffed and they puffed, but you just look at them at the moment, and apart from the midfield player, the, the, the Portuguese midfield player, I don't, I don't see them creating too many opportunities, in all honesty. Miguel, is squad depth playing an issue here when you look at Man City's squad? Even when you look at the likes of Arsenal and you can go to Manchester United and Liverpool, the squad in depth is going to play a bit more in their favour than it is a team like Newcastle. Yeah, that's exactly And I suppose that's where Newcastle are as well. And as, as Mark mentioned there, they're so dependent on Bruno Guimaraes. I mean, one of the things I noticed even in the cup final on Sunday was just how anytime he got the ball, he basically elevated the level of Newcastle, which is, I suppose, yeah. I mean, they spent 300 million in 2022. 
but it, sh- it shows they've still got some way to go to get to the level they would aspire to. And yeah, certainly, and I think squad depth, not, whatever about the title race in City, although Pep Guardiola has made a few curious decisions there and kind of, you know, <laughs> you know getting get rid of so many of his fullbacks, say, in Zinchenko and Cancelo through different points of the season. But depth is could be what decides the top four, certainly. And it's why in the kind of, you know, c- coming into these last few months, I would still have Spurs or Liverpool to finish top four rather than uh, rather than Newcastle, despite their own troubles this season. I'll get on to Arsenal, Bournemouth in just a moment, but I think this game tomorrow, the three o'clock kickoff tomorrow, one of the three o'clock kickoffs tomorrow, has potentially season-defining uh, potential in it, and that's Chelsea versus Leeds. Mark, who's going to be more nervous going into this? Chelsea. Um, I mean, you know, Leeds obviously struggling at the moment to get a win. Oh, they got one against Southampton the other week. But uh, de- definitely Chelsea because, you know, everybody's looking at them. And unfortunately for the manager, they're all saying, oh, is this, is this a game where he loses where, where his job? Which I actually think he should, he should stay on. Um, you know, they haven't signed a centre-forward as we've gone on about this with Matt all season, which you spend all that money and you don't buy, you don't, by anybody who's going to get you the goals and if they had they would have been up near the top four most definitely it's, it's a little bit of a free hit for Leeds they've looked a little bit different under Garcia they've not been quite as scatty for want of a, a better description um, you know they run all over run all over there's no doubt about that whatsoever but sometimes you're watching money and say well where are you going to so um, I think I think Leeds ultimately will stay up so if that's season defining then maybe Leeds what do you reckon Miguel? Yeah, I, th- I think actually Leeds are a better place given I'm, I'm a fan of the manager, Javier Gracia. I interviewed him when he was at Watford and I think he did a good job at Watford. I mean, it was a little bit coloured by what happened with the cup final. But even get- getting that far and to lose to City like that is no real, given everything we've, we've spoken about with City, isn't a shame. And yeah, I, I actually I think they're, they could be primed Leeds to take advantage of what will be a vulnerable and fragile Chelsea where there's just uncertainty all over. Uh, and at the moment, I mean, it's interesting, like Matt said this to me last week, where every time we talk about Chelsea now, he gets the inevitable line from me. Well, the owners are still keeping faith. Now, they are. They view this as a long-term investment, just like some of the players. But he, he, he's he got to start getting some sort of response. Now, it's, it's possible we may be seeing something similar to Mikel Arteta in, in 2020. Uh, and let's not forget, there was a period when, about three periods when Arteta could have been sacked. Um, it, it looked that bad. And they Arsenal it paid off in that sense. They got the benefit of kind of long term thinking, but sometimes I mean, you know, shows of faith. Some, it, it can also be misplaced faith. I mean, for the moment, I must say, given the season's pretty much a write off, like maybe that's the way Chelsea should just view it and view it as building the team again. Now, I suppose one of the problems though is pressure from the stands as it often happens in well pressure from one person the stands and I don't I, I, I'm not convinced that Todd Bowley is the type of person who is any different to Roman Abramovich when it comes to managers well I suppose I mean in his work with the Dodgers to be fair he has shown long term commitment I suppose in terms of football we're really in uncharted territory here because like, I mean with Abramovich we had you know after pretty much his first season at Ranieri we had the baseline in terms of how he was going to behave with managers uh, with, with Bowley we just don't know because they're they're completely new to football. It's a completely new ownership, and who knows? But I mean, you know, this Chelsea ownership. One of their approaches that they think they see 
a lot of inconsistencies in football that can be exploited. Maybe one of them is the approach to managers, but then some of these inconsistencies you know, exist for a reason. And, and one of them might be that you can't outrun the kind of reality, which is when it, it goes wrong and results become untenable, decisions have to be made. And I, this is the big question for Potter now, whether whether he can get a response out of that dressing room, who do seem a little bit... Um, it, it, it feels like they haven't really taken to him yet. Let's stick with the bottom of the table, Mark. Everton and Nottingham Forest on Sunday. You you kind of think this is the end of Everton's battle to stay in the stay in the, in the top flight if they lose? No, no, no. Because I think if they get Calvert Lewin back, it was it will be definitely route one. He may not be available this weekend. I'm not sure. No, I, no. Um, I think certainly at Goodison Park as well. I know they lost last week to Aston Villa, but they will give everybody a really good game. Then I, I, I don't I don't see them going down. Whatsoever, just just to, to to backtrack on the on the Chelsea thing as well. I think it's important, and Miguel mentioned it with with Bowley that that you know he's, he's got a sporting franchise, so he knows Ian that you know things don't go well all the time. You get injuries, you get loss of form, and I think if anything, that's 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 helping the manager at the moment with the outlook for the football club. Miguel, I'll move on to Arsenal Bournemouth. A much easier game for Arsenal, and you got you got to get to, say to yourself now, this should be an easy one for them. Yeah, you would think, especially given the last week. I mean, had had they faced this fixture three weeks ago, then maybe there was, there was a slight sense that um, it could have been difficult because they were going through that wobble. But I must say, I think that win they got against Aston Villa, um, the 4-2 with, with Jorginho's late goal, I think that could end up being the most significant moment of the season, certainly as regards the title race. Because it was just at that point where Arsenal's season was in danger of tailspinning. It would have been four games without a without a win just after the defeat to Manchester City. But from that, they seem completely transformed to the point then that a team they had such difficulty with a few weeks ago in that 1-0 defeat to Everton, well, they absolutely destroyed Everton on Wednesday night. And suddenly, momentum is back with Arsenal. You can feel it through the team. Saka is on incredible form, one of the players of the season. And yeah, so from all that and given the issues Bournemouth have had, you would think this could be another 3-4-5-0 for Arsenal. Yep, looking forward to all of those games. Mark, Miguel, thank you very much for joining us. The last word on sport on Today FM. With Carlsberg, official beer partner of the FAI. Probably the best partnership in the world. Get the facts, be drink aware, visit drinkaware.ie.